and how really this whole book is one of an apologetic book to defend the faith from these heresies of the first century that have come about, that are coming out of these Gnostics who are pushing all of this false doctrine, false views of Christ. And truly, every false doctrine comes from a false view of Christ. If we understand who Jesus is and we can nail that down, everything else really does fall into its neat little place where it's supposed to be. Uh, But the other issue of the day is that he is writing for these tests of faith and, and of true um, true salvation, real salvation, to show what the, the true saved person looks like, but as well to give assurance to that saved soul. Every saved person should have assurance. Are there days of, of discouragement? Yes. Are there days of even the questions and the doubts that might flood our mind? Yes. But he has given us, even in this passage alone, the very help that we need for this. So let's read here verse 18 down to 24. He says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know, we know, that this is this sort of confidence, that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, uh, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. In this passage alone we have several biblical and, and helpful reasons as to why we should be assured of our salvation, as to why we should be filled in things that we can know. Notice that in this whole passage, he does not say that you can know that you're saved because of the things that you do, but rather because of the things that Christ has done, because of who he is, not because of who you are. Our confidence, our trust, our assurance is never in our flesh or our deeds, but rather in Christ and who he is and and his work in our life. And so this should take the weight off of every believer this morning as we find out if our position being saved is in Jesus, that that will never change. It will never waver, though our fellowship often does because of our sin or our discouragement or our views of him that we go wayward. God never goes wayward. He is the mighty fortress and the rock that stands firm. He's the one that we are to run to and to cling to, that we build our life upon. And so now as we look here, we dealt with last, well, I guess now a couple weeks ago, at the phrase that we should, should have our hearts assured before him. It is, in order to have our hearts assured, we as well have to have our minds assured. This is where everything kind of comes into play. He says that we should know these things and that it's the truth that does set us free. It's that by indeed and in truth that we know. And he says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth, right? This affects our minds. We must have the proper thinking about God, about ourselves, about our position in, in knowing Jesus and what that means. And for that this morning, I want us to look at, at a very familiar passage, a very quoted passage, but a very needed passage for those who struggle with assurance of faith. So take, uh, take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter number 8 this morning. Romans chapter number 8. Most of us probably have that chapter 
marked up in our Bible, part of it probably even memorized, and all these things. And as we should, I want you to know that the Scripture never comes to this place where it's not able to give us help or hope. It is always there as a never-ending well that will never run dry, full of living water that we can always run to and attain the things that we need for our spiritual walk. So here, for those who are saved, they are no longer condemned, nor can we be. This is our great hope. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, there is no longer any condemnation that anyone or anything, including your own self, can bring that will make you guilty again before God. When Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. Past, present, and future. I was talking with Cammie last night and during devotions, and we kind of talked about how oftentimes when we look to Jesus, we know that our sins and our past are forgiven, but sometimes we struggle with the ones right now and the ones in the future going, how could we keep doing these things, right? This sort of battle in the flesh and all this, but we have to rest our minds and our hearts, and our hearts and our minds can be assured when we look to Calvary's Hill and we see what Christ has done, when we read in His Word, and that same Holy Spirit that was there filling the apostles on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that indwells you and I today to give us that assurance, to remind us, and that same Holy Spirit that points us back to Calvary over and over and over again. Every time the devil whispers in your ear and tells you how worthless you are, how you've sinned again, that you, there's no way you can be saved, all of these things, the Holy Spirit screams to us, look to the cross. This is the way of salvation, but as well as that of our sanctification. Our daily life is one of looking to what Jesus has done and not to what we have done. <clears throat> so let's look here. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The reason why they can walk after the Spirit is because the Spirit has came to indwell them because they have put their trust in Jesus. And because we have put our trust in Jesus, there's no longer any condemnation. There used to be this handwriting of ordinance that was against us, showing that we were guilty before God, but it has been nailed to His cross. And He has done that work Himself. And we see that now it is the Lord who declares, no longer condemned. We went from being guilty to now we are innocent, even viewed as righteous before God. And that position will not and cannot change. And he goes on to talk about this, and he talks about how we've been adopted. And he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, verse 14, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know what that is when, when you let those doubts take over your mind and your heart about your salvation? you have allowed yourself to be brought back into the bondage of fear again. We are not saved to be bound to fear or to be bound to sin anymore, but we have been set free from those things. It is the Son who has set us free. It is Jesus who has set us free by His truth, by His work for us. And so now we are adopted, and He says, <clears throat> we have received uh, not the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
Right? He is not just judge and master and king, but He is our heavenly Father that we can run to. That doesn't just as some earthly father who might be at times an abuser or overcorrective or, or not as loving. The Lord, our heavenly Father, is uh, perfect in all of His ways, pure in all of His motives. And so when He corrects us, He does so not to play whack-a-mole and beat us over the head, but to bring us back to His heart, to bring us back in the fellowship and relationship. He says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are. If you are in Christ, if you trust Jesus today, you belong to God. He is your Heavenly Father. You are His spiritual child and you have been adopted never to have Him uh, unadopt you. Right? He's never going to go, well, you know what, it's too far done. No, now when He views you, He no longer views your rags of unrighteousness. He no longer views your sinfulness. He views and sees the righteousness of His perfect and holy Son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died the death that you and I deserved to set us free and so that we might be adopted. He goes on and then says, And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Look at this. It doesn't just end in the fact that we're adopted, but we're heirs. We're going to have an inheritance one day. That inheritance is not just the, the beauty of heaven, but the inheritance is that we now have fellowship with God the Father through Christ the Son in the Spirit that now indwells us. And that not only do we have that fellowship here and now, but we have that fellowship to look forward to and to long, to long for. Romans 8 continues, and, and it really does get gooder and gooder. We, there's no condemnation, but then there's no separation. Look, uh, look down here at verse 28. He says, And we know that all things work together for good, notice, to them that love God. Now for you and I, good means something different than how God views good. Right, The difficulties of your life, the, the struggles that you face right now in your mind, in your heart, we don't view those as good. But yet, look at verse, back up to verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Look at that. There is something being done and being worked through in this difficulty, and it's for our good, but for His glory. And He says, to them that love God, and the only way that you will love God is if you have experienced the love of God and are in Christ. If you are saved, that is the fruit that we then will love God and have a love for Him and have a love for His Word, have a love for His people. And that's what John talks about in First John. He says, to them that are called according to His purpose, for, him, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Dear child of God today that struggles with assurance of salvation, Know this, if you don't know or hear anything else that I say, know that God is for you. He's not just for your family. He's not just for your friends. He's not just for the church. He is for you. 
for you. And if He's for you, as He says here, then who can be against us? Well, there's plenty that can be against us, but none that can stand against God. If the Lord is on our side, then we can truly say and sing that we are on the winning side. We are on the side of the Lord, and He is on our side. Therefore, the enemy will come. The enemy will whisper lies and deceit. The enemy will try to bring about despair to your heart and to your mind. But know that God is for me, so therefore, who can really be against me? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Think about, dear child of God, all the things that God has given to you. And perhaps the greatest of gifts beyond salvation is the assurance and sealing of your salvation. The fact that you are now sealed unto the day of redemption and you can be assured of your salvation through the work of the Spirit, through the continued submission to the truth of God's Word, and the constant reminder that there is no longer anything or anyone that can condemn me, including myself. The devil will continue to accuse you. He will continue to try to bring about condemnation. But if you are saved today, then you can tell him to go kick rocks. The, the, the devil can do nothing. Uh, he cannot bring about any condemnation to then make you guilty before God. Because every time that the devil would come, then what happens? Christ, our intercessor, looks and His blood is still sufficient to save and is still sufficient to keep us saved. And it is paid in full. But furthermore, when He comes as the accuser in the heavenlies, if you will, in the heavenly court, there is no longer any accusations against you. There is nothing against you. There is no longer any, anything that, that can bring condemnation to you ever again. How about for your own self? We are our own worst enemies. We might sin, and we do sin, right? But then what happens, we often either think little of it or we think so much of it that we condemn ourselves and we say, well, now God can't use me. I can't make it right. There's no way God will get, bring me forgiveness. I've messed up too many times. I'm such a bad Christian. All these different things. And guess what? We condemn ourselves, but God still does not. If you are in Christ, the, neither the devil nor your own self can bring about condemnation that would change God's mind about you and, and have Him go from being for you to against you. He then says, who, is, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Meaning that the devil, yourself, or the world cannot bring anything against you as a charge that, that says that, that you are guilty or should not be saved, or can no longer be saved. He says, who can do it? None can. It is God that justified. If God saved you, God will keep you saved. God can bring you assurance of your salvation, and it's there and offered to you daily. The reason why we don't have the assurance or the struggles that we, that we do have, it's because we simply just won't rest in the truth of who God is and what He has done. I want you to know this morning, Either Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary was enough, or it wasn't. Was it enough? Yes. So therefore, when you sin, or when you doubt, or when you're discouraged, look back to what Jesus has done and know that it is enough. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, right now, 
You're a child of God, though you feel weak and cannot pray. It is Christ who intercedes for us. Earlier on in the chapter, in verse 26, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God Himself is praying on your behalf to, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to keep you persevering and going forward. Should we not do the same? Should we not trust in the work of God? He says then, He then says, uh, Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? And then He asks the question, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's many a times, if we're honest, that we feel because of a sin or a doubt in our life, that God no longer loves us. I want you to know that's hogwash. God still loves you. Loves you so much that from eternity past, the plan of salvation was always never to be by you, but rather by Him to send His Son Jesus to come to take the wrath of God the Father that you and I deserve to die the death that you and I should have died to then resurrect, to offer eternal life and forgiveness to all who would repent and believe to seal them and to save them unto the day of redemption, to one day then glorify them that we might inherit the gift of not only knowing Him and being with Him, but the heirs as children of God because we have been adopted by Him. Think about the beauty of what this means. Now, do you think for one moment if God would, would send His Son to die for you that there's going to be anything that you might do now in your life or walk that will keep you from being loved of God? Not a single thing. We often think in human terms, right? There's times where you and I could be gracious or, or kind, but only but so much, right? The same way if we're wrathful or angry, right? There's different levels. We're not everything all at one time. Guess what? Every attribute of God, which is the way in which we know and, and, and can describe or understand Him and the way in which He's really truly revealed Himself he is all of those things at one time. He is no more this and less of that. Which means this. God has never at one point in time in your Christian walk loved you more or less. There's never anything that you can do to make God love you more than He already does. And, and as well, child of God, dear saved soul today, there is nothing that you can do to make Him then love you less. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He says, what shall separate us? Or who shall? What can? But tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors, not through us, through him that loved us. You are called to be a conqueror. Why? Not because you have the strength to conquer these things in your own flesh, but rather because the Lord is the victor and the conqueror, and we have victory in Jesus. Right? How many times have you sung that song in your life? Have you ever sung that song and thought for a moment while you're singing it that you have victory in your flesh or your works? Never! It is always and shall always and forever be victory in Jesus because He has loved me. Remind yourself today of the love of God for you. Not just that He is loving, but that He loves you today. He says, for I am persuaded. Meaning as John is talking about, he's confident, he's convinced that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, 
things that are present, things that come, height, depth, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So where's our assurance? How do we have our hearts assured? By looking at the heart of God. And the heart of God is one that is of love towards His people, towards His children, whom He has adopted through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there is nothing that will separate us from His love, nor will there be anything that will make His love then come against us, or be any less, or be any more. We are in Christ, therefore we are in Christ. There's nothing that can change this. One commentator puts this. He says, but our conscience is by no means infallible. Its condemnation may, be, uh, may often be unjust. We can therefore appeal from our conscience to God who is greater and more knowledgeable. Indeed, He knows everything, including our secret motives and deepest resolves, and it is implied will be more merciful towards us than our own heart. His omniscience should relieve, not terrify us. So it is knowledge which alone can quieten the, con- the condemning heart uh, and our own knowledge of our sincere love for others and supremely God's knowledge of our thoughts and motives. Stronger than any chemical tranquilizer is trusting in our all-knowing God. As we look back at here at 1 John chapter 3, he tells us in verse 20, if our heart condemn us, and how often does that happen? A lot, doesn't it? All the time, it is our heart, our mind that condemns us but it is never God that condemns us. It is our own self. And here's what he says. God is greater than our heart. God is greater. Let me ask you today, if all of your sin was right here before everybody today, what's greater and bigger than your sin? God. How about if you piled up all the doubts of your mind and in your heart today, and it piled up all this big. God's still greater. What if all of your doubts and your sins and your worries and your anxieties filled up this whole room to where nothing else could fit in here? God's greater. What if all your sin could fill up every square inch of this entire planet? God is still greater. God is greater than your heart. Do not let your heart take you out of the will of God or take you out of the fight or take you out from following God and being used of God. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. This means that God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. And while that might bring about a healthy fear and cause us to really think about our thought and our heart life and certainly how we obey God, it should as well bring confidence Because God knows your heart and still loves you. God knows your mind and still thinks many thoughts towards you is what the psalmist tells us. His thoughts are many toward us. God knows the motives that you've often had, still loves you. God knows your doubts, still loves you. God knows uh, all of these struggles that you're facing right now, still loves you. 1 John 3.20 reminds true believers that God is aware of their good intentions, allowing Him to treat us more graciously than we treat ourselves. Do not think that God only knows those wrong intentions of your heart. He also knows 
the right ones. He knows the love that you have for Him. He knows the relationship and the position that you have in Christ. He knows you. He loves you. Despite the fact that we are frail and we falter, despite the fact that so often we condemn our own hearts or we can be so unloving to the God who loves us so. But do not continue to bruise and beat yourself. As a matter of fact, it's those who walk in false religion who do the same. Over in Eastern uh, Asia, there's several parts that were, are, are sort of this severe sect of Catholicism where they'll walk in the streets and they'll beat themselves bloody. They'll literally strip down and they'll walk the streets and they'll take whips and they'll whip themselves until they're bleeding. Right? And they're doing this to make themselves more holy. I want you to know, it has not made them more holy before God. It's only made them more holy physically. Now they're bleeding out. You and I cannot do such a thing where we beat ourselves up to where now, maybe if I keep beating myself up and putting myself down, that now God will love me more. No. As a matter of fact, what did we just read? We're more than conquerors. Conquerors don't have to beat themselves up. Why? Because God has adopted us and loves us and those things will never change. Therefore, there is no condemnation or separation. This brings assurance to our hearts. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow, the more you show. Notice, it is our whole life. God does not just want your heart. He wants your mind. His thoughts are many towards you, but He desires that your thoughts, as He tells us in, in Philippians, to think about these right things. And our hearts will, will literally spring forth with joy. It starts in our mind. And do not think that you have such a rotten mind that you cannot think about good things. Know this, that there is a great spiritual battle that takes place for your mind, even as much as it does for your heart. But we must know and trust and continue to take our, our minds, thoughts, and our hearts' affections to the things of God to have this sweet assurance, this blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Not because of who I am. Not because there's anything special about me or because I've earned God's love. But He loves you just because it's who He is. If you're saved today, you didn't earn your salvation. If you're saved today, you can know that God loves you and you can know that you didn't earn that love. He loves you as a perfect, holy, heavenly Father who loves you in such a way that we can't even begin to grasp it. But we must trust in that. It is the love of God and the goodness of God that leadeth man to repentance. It is as well the same thing that gives us this assurance of our heart. David Guzik writes, Our assurance is twofold. First, God already knows everything about you and He loves you. He cares for you. He desires you. Second, God knows all things and knows who we truly are in Jesus Christ. If we are born again, then the real self is the one created in the image of Jesus Christ. Where the Bible tells us that the old has passed away, behold, all things become new. We are new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. So now when God looks at you, He does not see just some sort of helpless mess that needs saving, but ra that cannot save itself, but rather He sees the robes of righteousness of His own Son. He sees that the, 
The blood has washed you white as snow and there's nothing that can condemn you now or separate you now. But this begs the question then, what if I mess up? And you will. And so will I. Every day, you will have a battle. You'll have a wrong thought, a bad motive. Uh, you'll watch the wrong things, say the wrong things, do the wrong things, right? We sin. It's a struggle in our flesh. Does that struggle mean that we're no longer saved? Remember, it's the Apostle Paul who said in Romans chapter 7, he, this is Paul, he's like, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. And he goes, the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, that's, that's what I do. Who will deliver me? This body of, of sin. And, and then he goes into Romans 8. Though I have this struggle, there is no condemnation. There is no separation. Because the Lord loves me, and I belong to Him. Therefore, He belongs to me. Turn with me to John chapter 10, and we'll be done with this little section. What if I mess up? I think the question should probably be less of what about when I mess up and should be more about so what happens when I mess up? What do I do then? Look at this. Here's Jesus' very own words. He says in verse number 9, I am the door. By me, if any may enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. They might have it more abundantly. God does not desire that you would just merely exist. He wants you to live because He has died and risen to give you not just eternal life in our future, but an abundant life now. Now that abundant life now does not mean what many false teachers claim it means and mean that you have all these toys and uh, material things of this world, but an abundant life begins with an abundant heart and mind that is full of the blessed hope and assurance of knowing God. Here's what he then says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He's given his life for you. He goes on. He says, I'm the good shepherd in verse 14. And know my sheep and have known of mine. He goes on. He says um, down in uh, verse 26. He says, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep. And he's talking to these, these Pharisees and these folks who have come against him. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. He gives it. God's no Indian giver. All right? Y'all ever heard that? I don't know if it's, no, it's not politically correct anymore, but, but it, it's a thing. All right? If God gives you something, like eternal life, He's not going to take it back. It is a free gift that we receive by faith. He then says that they may ne shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You know that phrase, any man, means you? Not only can no one else pluck you out of relationship with the Father, but even you can't. He still loves you. He still desires you. He says, my Father which gave them me is greater than all. And as John talked about, greater than our own heart. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Praise God. 
that we can have blessed assurance and hearts that are assured. We can trust in the great truth that God loves me. God loves you that are in Christ. And that there is nothing, no one, that can bring condemnation against you, separation from Him or His love, nor is there anyone, including your own heart today, that can pluck you out of His hand. The Lord is holding on to you today. Little kid's song, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? Y'all want me to do the motions? Okay, all right. There you go. Do my own choreography here, okay? When we're talking about the whole world is in his hands, he's as well talking about you, your heart, your life, your soul, your salvation, your assurance. It's in his hands. Don't trust your hands. Our hands lead us astray, but I can trust His hands. For they are the same hands that were one day on the cross, outstretched to save my soul. They are the same hands that reach out to save me, to assure me, and to draw me in to fellowship with Himself. Let's trust and be assured in our hearts today as we look to Calvary. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this day, grateful for the assurance that You can give and that You've given already in Your Word. Help us to cling to those things, to trust in those things, Lord, to know and to rest that You are not just good and faithful enough to save us, but Lord, to keep us saved, that there's nothing or no one that can condemn us, separate us, or pluck us out of Your hand. Lord, hold our hearts close to You today, and God, prepare our hearts now to worship You, that we might glorify You in all things. God, I pray that through the power of Your Spirit, through the power of Your Word, Lord, that You would do great and mighty things today. Meet the need of every heart. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.